Hello, welcome to What We've Learned, episode 10. 10, double figures, wow, we've made it that far. I say we, in fact, it's just Steve at the moment. Uh, Shane is with us this week, but in a slightly different way. We've pre-recorded an interview that she conducted with Robert Norum, our guest speaker for the week, uh, simply because Shane's busy doing other things. Not that she doesn't value the podcast, but I'm afraid most of America values her much more right now as she co-hosts B2B Marketing's B2B Ignite event this week, which means although Shane is in the UK, she's working on American time clock and pretty darn busy making sure that all the great speakers involved in that conference are getting value over to the audience and she'll be typically asking insightful questions. If she needed a warm-up to insightful questions, well, she got that while she spoke to Robert Norum earlier in the week. And Robert's here because of all the episodes we've done so far, where we've covered a number of different topics, starting as we did with episode one, with what we've been learning as the world had been rapidly changing, where we learned to use words like pivot and rap change and bounce back and all those different terms, an awful lot in meetings that we were in for our sales and marketing and other broader topics. We then started to reach into areas that the feedback we got from people like you, from listening in uh, and commenting on places like LinkedIn or getting in touch via Twitter or directly via email, uh, we started to try and cover topics that we found would be of interest to more people that were listening in. ABM, episode six, is probably the one that's had the most listens and certainly the most discussion, um, which follows really that ABM is still a very popular topic. ABM, I think, stands for account-based marketing. I say I think because when we discussed it with Andy Bacon, who is an expert on the topic, um, we established that it could also be called ABMS, account-based marketing and sales, which was a change and a very logical one. Uh, but in fact, we can now bring in a third one, ABE, or ABE, as I like to refer to it very cutely, account-based engagement, as Robert makes the case for when we spoke to him this week. So Robert, if you're not familiar with him, he's got nearly three decades of experience in marketing. He started from an IT publishing background, moving into distribution marketing, and has worked agency and consultancy side uh, since about 2003. It was about eight years ago that Robert was asked by Momentum, a well-known ABM agency, to look at ABM to understand it. And as he confessed to us offline, he didn't even know what it meant back then. To be honest, I don't think any of us did. So Robert's been working in that field for eight years. He teaches, like Andy, um, he also um, consults into a range of different organizations. So he's got that hands-on experience that we were looking for alongside Andy's viewpoint, where we asked Robert to talk to us about some of the stories, his thoughts on the direction of travel when it comes to ABM, which like a lot of marketing things, I would argue is a very common sense approach, trying to target, be precise towards those organizations that are important to you and wrap your marketing, your sales and your broader engagement around what it is that's relevant and engaging to them. So this week, it will be Shane who will be talking to Robert, and I'll be back a bit later once those two have discussed the merits of ABM. Shane kicked things off with Robert by asking about what he thinks changed in the world of ABM in the recent weeks and months. So what do you see sort of the biggest changes that have happened perhaps in the, the more recent uh, period? Well, from an account-based marketing point of view, you know, when I first got a call from Momentum, uh, as I say, about eight, nine years ago to ask uh, if I could help run some workshops, first of all, I'd never heard of ABM. Uh, and secondly, not many people in, in the industry had either, I think. So from that perspective, I think, uh, you know, ABM has obviously become a bit of a juggernaut in the B2B world, particularly, um, and things have transformed completely where 
is not a question of have you heard of it it's a question of you know why aren't you doing it if you're not already so i think one of the reasons for doing a follow-up um after our introduction to abm is to for you to be able to share some of your knowledge about who's doing it really, really well, Robert, I think, you know, the practical tips and the case studies um, and the, some of the frameworks you use, I think would be of great interest to people who want to know more. And if you, as you like, jumping on the juggernauts. Mm. Well, I'm very happy to share that. I mean, I think in terms of companies doing it well, uh, funny enough, I was going back over ITSMA's um, ABM awards before our call over the last five years. And it does seem to be very much the technology sector that's been driving this and, and, a, and a recurring list of names, you know. So you'll see SAP, you'll see Fujitsu, you'll see Oracle, HP, um, Adobe, Cisco. You know, uh, the, re the recurring kind of theme is very large technology companies, and they do seem to have been at the cutting edge of ABM really since the beginning. I think that's great. And I think that they're the ones that, you know, we all call out because we perhaps see some of their case studies are winning awards. But what do you think makes an outstanding account based marketing and sales approach? What do you think that these companies have got right? Yeah, good question. Um, the $50 million question, really, I guess. Um, I mean, I think the first thing is a, a serious commitment to to ABM. Um, you know, I think getting the, the buy-in from senior management, uh, making sure you have the budget and resources to do this properly, and then taking a really structured approach. Um, and, you know, if I go back eight years to when I started, you know, it was it was working with, with Oracle actually at the time. And, you know, they had a, a very clear approach of how they wanted to play this. And in some ways, that's actually influenced me, you know, fr from then on. Um, you know, in terms of talking about uh, the approach I would take or that I recommend people take, you know, it starts with sales and marketing alignment. Um, it's very much about getting the right people in the room right at the outset of the program and getting buy-in um, and understanding of what's required um, from all parties. Um, then I think one of the things that was always a kind of core part, you know, even from, from the early days was driving that into getting some really good quality insight into the account. Um, so kind of from my point of view, um, the, the, the research and insight piece is absolutely axiomatic to getting this right. And then you can obviously develop your strategy and then you can develop your messaging. And then, of course, you can get into some meaningful marketing communications. There's some really great points there, Robert. I think, you know, just picking up on all three of those, I mean, starting with uh, the senior buy-in and the alignment, who do you see normally leading account-based marketing um, strategic projects or, a, a, if you like, a approach to this within the company? Is it always marketing or are there sometimes other leaders? Well, I think it, it typically starts with marketing as the catalyst for um, looking at ABM. But I, I would always encourage my clients or, or people that I'm training to, to get buy-in from senior execs. So I think really you need the marketing director and the sales director of an organization um, to, to have got this and to actually want it to work. Um, I don't even think the marketing director alone is enough. Um, and I think if you can go further up the food chain, even, even higher, you know, so, so much the better. Obviously, that's going to depend on the size of organization. But I really think you want senior execs, you know, uh, at board level, if at all possible, 
to have bought into the concept of ABM um, and then to basically for that to cascade down through the organization. Um, and in terms of the importance of, of you know, my clients and the people I'm working with, I would say it's equal between sales and marketing. You know, nominally marketing are probably um, orchestrating the program. But if, if the senior sales leadership team are not bought in and driving it from their perspective as well, then I think it's far less likely to be successful. I think that's great advice. And in fact, it's interesting because some of the clients that I've been working with have actually used ABMS to help realign to very siloed departments previously to give them a reason, uh, if you like, to, to work more closely. And from then, other things have then flowed, which I think is really exciting. But picking up on the second point you made, I know you spend a lot of time deep diving and helping clients to get great sort of insight into accounts. And that whole account selection can be fraught with problems. So, so where should you start with insight and account selection? Well, a, a, another couple of great questions, Shane. And I think um, account selection is absolutely critical um, because, of course, you could invest a lot of time, effort and money uh, in, in the wrong accounts um, and they would either fail or, or you wouldn't necessarily be focused in the right areas. So um, having kind of established what your account based marketing strategy should look like uh, right at the outset and obviously getting the buy in, um, I think before you move forward, the account selection process is is, is kind of critical, really. Um, and over the years, you know, serious decisions have um, done some good work here. Um, B2B marketing have developed, um, you know, their own uh, recommendations around account selection criteria. And, you know, I think each company should set up its own criteria, but it's probably based around, you know, half a dozen to a dozen key questions where I would recommend, you know, you're looking at scoring the accounts on a one to five basis. So some of that's going to be about, you know, the, the size of the opportunity. It might be a, a, around the geos. It might be around whether or not they're already active in your market or whether you have any kind of traction with them, uh, you know, as things stand. It, it would also include things like, do we have the engagement of the organization and of the sales team? So I think, you know, there are, as I say, it's going to vary from company to company, but probably half a dozen to a dozen key questions. And if you if you imagine you might have a couple of hundred accounts that you start with thinking, well, these might be eligible for our ABM program. How do you practically shortlist that? Well, probably the first thing you do is to work with the sales leadership team and ideally get that down perhaps to 50 accounts or to 20 accounts. But then when you get to the point where you really are working out, well, if we're going to move forward with three or five or 10, how do we do that? Then that's where I think the scoring process comes into play. And, and I certainly would advocate taking my clients through that kind of process. I think that scoring is really important because otherwise you get far too much, how should we say, sort of emotion and gut feel. And certainly I've been caught in this, um, how should we, the classic that sales pushing very heavily for a couple of accounts uh, to be included. And then you find that they're, they're so close to signing a major deal that anything you started with a major program would have no impact on that deal. And they were just trying to find ways of getting extra money to get it across the line. So I think we have to recognize that a really clear framework is important. And I really like that idea of scoring. I think it's very helpful. So do you think, Robert, you know, 
account-based marketing in terms of where to start from what you've just outlined that's very much in terms of a new business generation but what about um companies which are already in the pipeline or in fact might be around deal closing or retention is there any part to play with starting a strategy there sure and and again um if, if i go back in time to to when i first started i think pretty much all abm was to existing accounts and it was much more about growing those accounts and protecting them potentially breaking into new parts of the organization or being able to upsell and cross-sell you know into new departments um, as things have developed over the last you know five years or so i'd say more and more companies are trying to use or want to use abm actually to break into new accounts and I think that's equally valid, um, albeit I would suggest that, you know, wherever possible, you have a balance of existing growth accounts and new name, new accounts. So obviously spreading the risk um, and, and learning as you go from from both both camps, if that makes sense. I think that makes perfect sense. I, I really like that idea of balancing your risk because obviously everybody wants to see a return from this strategy. Uh, and I think that you know, one of the benefits of having some accounts who you think you should be getting a greater share of wallet or would be a big risk if you lost them is actually, of course, you do know a lot more about them or you should know a lot more about them. Um, that's not always the case. Um, so I'm really going back to that question of insight and the sort of information you really need to run a very relevant, personal, tailored approach what what would that insight typically be and look like and how would you go about getting it robert yeah great question so uh, you know when i when i do the training um, for b2b marketing uh, I, I kind of talk people through how i think this should be approached and i think it's obviously it's going to vary as to whether you're looking at one-to-one -one or, or one to few or potentially even one to many but at a one-to-one -one level you're really looking to do a deep dive into the account. You know, it should be looking at their, their structure, uh, their finances, their key execs, their strategy. You know, if you're in the IT space, you'd be looking at their IT landscape and their existing suppliers. Um, if you're in a, in a different uh, sector, then obviously you'd be looking at a, a landscape that was relevant for you. And I typically try and net out with what I call an opportunity analysis, which is where uh, you know, the research team have basically looked at the offerings of the company who are doing the, the marketing and selling, and they've looked at the needs of this individual customer. And the opportunity analysis is this is where we think you can land, you know, so here's a key business driver or pain point for the customer. Um, this is how we think we can help. Uh, and these are the people we think you should go and talk to to take that messaging to them. And that opportunity analysis is, I think, like gold dust, really. You know, it's it's really helpful for marketing, but it's obviously equally helpful for sales. And when you go into a workshop with maybe a 50, 60, 70 slide deck on an account, and then you can net out with, and here are the five key takeouts for you and what you should do about it, then I think that's incredibly powerful. I agree. And I think that's where you get the real buy-in then from sales because up until that point it's often well we know these accounts we know them really well and it's only when you as you say present these new opportunities and things they didn't know that actually I think marketing get that credibility to be at the table but one of the things that's sort of interested to ask you Robert on that is people say well isn't that just good you know deep research that sales should be doing anyway um, how do you take that and then develop 
a unique, particularly for one-to-one, proposition for that account. Can you think of any really good examples where that's happened? Well, it's difficult to talk specifically, obviously, about uh, clients and particular accounts. But I would say I've probably, uh, over the years, you know, done hundreds of these research studies um, and used them in, in all cases. So, you know, where, where, what I would typically do in the strategy workshop that I run with clients is to spend a little bit of time, you know, talking to the account lead about their account plan, if, if one exists, as one would hope, but then to walk them through the research in detail um, and then to use the, the, the opportunity analysis, if you like, to drive, first of all, a summary of what are the key business drivers and pain points for the customer, but then what should our strategy for the account be? Where do we think we should focus? Um, you know, what value propositions and messaging should we be landing? And, and so coming out of that strategy workshop into what I would typically call the value proposition and messaging workshop, it is all about creating a new, a, literally a unique value proposition um, from, from the specific, uh, or, you know, from the client in question that I'm working with for their potential customer. And, um, you know, I've done this with, with Oracle and with Sabre and with ServiceNow and with HP and, you know, I mean, literally dozens of companies who, who have ad adopted that kind of approach to creating uh, a unique value proposition for one-to-one. -one. And, and I guess, you know, it's also worth saying that's one-to-one -one and, and that would need to be a particularly high-value customer, you know, with a high-value, high-ticket um, sales opportunity. Um, if you look at one to few, which I do regularly with clients, you know, that's where you might be picking um, a, a vertical market. You know, it might be um, UK banks, for example. Then you would do potentially a piece of research into UK banks um, at, at, a, at a sort of generic level for UK banking. But you would still want to net out with, well, these are the key business drivers and pain points for the industry. And this is the opportunity or these are the opportunities we think we, we could land in. So from that perspective, you know, this is one to one, but it is also the methodology I would take for for one to few. Uh, and then, you know, to supplement that, you might do smaller profiles on each account so that you're still identifying any uniques um, and specifically, of course, looking at the key stakeholders you would want to talk to by account. That's really helpful. And I think that understanding and that clarity how the the research and the insight leads to developing value proposition around uh, your target account needs is, is super helpful. But do you think, because I think one of the things that people are struggling with at the moment with resource being so tight, um, is this something where you have to appoint an external consultant or an external agency or is it a blend um, or can you do it all in-house? Yeah, great question. Um... I, I think, you know, if, if companies have invested in the training, you know, perhaps with ITSMA or with Serious Decisions or with B2B Marketing, I think there is the potential that companies could do all of this in-house. Um, I have to say, though, you know, when I look at the companies I'm, I'm working with currently and have worked with, um, doing it in-house is, is quite a challenge because I think people obviously have an awful lot of things on their plate and getting the focus, the attention, the drive, you know, the concentration on the ABM activity is not trivial. So what I'm finding um, working as an independent consultant, um, as opposed to, you know, embedded in, in an agency environment is an awful lot of um, 
you know clients that I'm working with want help in those early stages you know they want help um, defining what their program should look like um, working out who should be involved uh, helping with the account selection um, scoping it you know on, a, on an account by account or sector by sector basis getting the research done and then helping them define their strategy and value proposition um, and you know the companies I'm, I'm working with you know are, are pretty sizable and you'd think well possibly they could do this themselves um, but for for whatever reason you know either it's because they're new to ABM or they're concerned that it's not going to get the the focus they need they seem pretty keen to work with with a third party um, interestingly obviously at this point uh, you know it's more of a consultative offering than than an agency one uh, some agencies clearly would do that end-to-end -end piece as well but where where I kind of net out typically is helping companies with their value proposition uh, and their go-to-market plan and then of course the next phase is okay now how are we actually going to implement the Marcoms well from from that perspective I think more companies do have internal resource um, that they could of course brief into please create the microsite please create the email program please produce some great looking decks for us but we've got the value proposition and we've got the go to market plan so so things are pretty clear that uh, the the option to that of course is at this stage they would then engage an external agency to help them with with the kind of the razzmatazz if you like from a how do we deliver great marketing I think that's a really clear explanation of um, the different approaches. And it is interesting because it's sort of whilst we both operate in a similar space, we both do different things that we've talked about before. And funnily enough, most of my consultancy is around the very early stage of actually saying to a company, well, these are the things that you are really good at and you have. Um, and actually, these are where your gaps are, be it finding, you know, a in-depth expert like you to deliver a whole strategic training program around ABMS or is it actually they understand and they've already done that and they're looking for an expert agency so I think it's very interesting that you know it's not necessarily one approach um, fits all you know you've got different ways you can execute and to your point I think really important to understand what resources you have in-house and not to underestimate what a program like this takes just to run it um, so I want, it brings me on to the last one, which we haven't really talked about at all, is in the one-to-many. And do you see many people starting with the one-to-many account-based marketing? And perhaps it's just worth recapping for everybody what the difference is, Robert, with one-to-many compared to the one-to-one -one and one-to-few. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so if, if you think of the virtual pyramid, one-to-one, um, -one, you know, is clearly going to be your largest accounts or your largest prospects. And the investment there in terms of time and resource and money, you know, is not insignificant. So I would envisage that, that there are not many companies who are going to be doing more than five to ten one to one accounts per year, um, you know, based around um, the resource and budget required. Uh, there may, of course, be exceptions to that. If you drop down into one to few, then typically, as I kind of alluded to earlier, this is going to be um, a vertical market, perhaps. Um, but uh, by geo or, or perhaps by region. And in, in that sector uh, piece, I would say you're probably going to look at five to 15 accounts. Um, it may vary a little bit at the bottom end and at the top end, but you obviously still, you want to have few enough accounts to be able to really concentrate on them quite heavily. The, the good news is that the, the investment of time and money 
it is not exponentially different to one to one. So of course you're 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 taking a number and dividing it by the the amount of accounts you include in that program. But it the the the, the oh, excuse me the deliveries uh, for one to few are still very or the deliverables are still very similar to one to one. You're trying to create that hyper personalized approach. When you get into one to many. Um, you know, I'm not thinking of thousands of accounts here, but if you had 200 enterprise accounts or 300 enterprise accounts across EMEA and you knew you wanted to include them in your ABM activity, then of course you're not going to be able to be looking at one-to-one -one or even one-to-few for all of them. So the challenge then is how would you segment those accounts so that you could actually create some really tailored communications for them that would be relevant. And I normally kind of suggest, you know, let's assume it's the two or 300 mark, that, that my clients should look at working out well can we divide them up into half a dozen verticals for example um, perhaps there are three or four key job titles where we know we want to target the CEO or the COO or the CTO or the CSO, CISO or whatever, whatever it may be and then you're going to try and come up with some segmented positioning for them so the first thing you'd want to look at is how does our value proposition vary by vertical and then the, the, the second tier to that, if you like, is how does it vary by, by job functional, job role or job title? And if you think about creating a, a messaging matrix, you, if you said, well, it's six verticals and it's, it's four key, key roles, that's 24 different pods of content that you might want to be thinking about creating. So how would you deliver that? Well, of course, it could be email marketing. It could be via LinkedIn. It could be by using a number of, you know, the the sort of ABM type platforms out there, but essentially it's about creating communications that feel as relevant and, and, and as contextual as they possibly can be, while still not really having the personalization you would expect of one-to-one -one or one-to-few. I think that's really clear. And I think actually there are probably some people listening to this and think, oh my goodness, you know, 24 um, pods is, is a huge uh, amount for us to manage. So do you think this is really more for the, the technical led companies, the ones who've invested in good MarTech, like marketing automation and other systems to be able to execute? Yeah, definitely. Um, th there's no question that to be able to, to manage, you know, those kind of uh, messaging matrix pods, if you like, or content pods, you, you need a decent platform and you need the expertise of people who are used to doing this kind of thing on a regular basis. Um, and, and so that's where I think, you know, the, the, the ABM world that's exploded of different technology providers um, who are helping companies target, uh, you know, their, their prospects at volume um, comes into play. And, and it's interesting because as you, you you probably worked out for yourself, Shane, but, you know, it's where ABM and demand gen kind of meet. And clearly there are some overlaps. You know, one to many is a less sophisticated form of ABM than one to one or one to few. But I still think it has a role in the ABM um, firmament, if you like, or, or proposition, because it's still focused around that set number of accounts. It's not just going fishing, you know, with with thousands of prospects in mind. Okay, so I think we've um, had three really good sort of top tips, if you like, so far. Start with your strategy and alignments. Um, do your insight, do your deep research, use expert partners to fill the gaps. What would you say? That's three top tips. What would you say perhaps to get us up to five? Your four and five would be, Robert, for 
somebody's either started this program and is looking to accelerate it um, or just looking for a really great takeaway? What a great challenge. Um, well, I, I think one of the things we haven't talked about massively is, is, is the kind of creative execution of, of campaigns. And I think it is absolutely mission critical. You know, obviously I tend to focus at the front end in terms of, um, you know, scoping the program, getting the research done, developing the strategy, and then coming up with the value proposition and messaging. But at that point, it's still relatively dry. Um, and what, what really needs to, to be done, I think, for any ABM program to work really, really well is to, is to have great cut through creative, you know, that, that feels as relevant um, and as personalized as you can possibly make it. So that is where I think um, having probably an external agency who, who are really talented and, and, and capable in this area is important. Or of course, if you do have great internal resources, then then I think that's important too. But I think, you know, taking it from uh, something which is basically a PowerPoint deck, you know, and bringing that to life through great comms, you know, great video, uh, great microsites, great white papers or, or leadership pieces is, is extremely important. We're seeing also a lot of, um, if you like, refocus of activity possibly because of the current environment we're in, in not just the sort of, you know, like the, the classic assets for demand generation and engagement, but also I'm seeing in account-based marketing and sales programs, a lot more budget being put into um, bespoke sales enablement. Have you seen any good examples of this, Robert? Um, I think it's a great question. I haven't really seen great examples, but it is something that I'm talking about with people all the time. And I think that the very first thing that needs to come out of any um, ABM program, pr probably even pre-pandemic, but certainly post, you know, uh, coronavirus, etc., is empowering the sales team with great assets really quickly. Um, so perhaps that's another point that I haven't really um, mentioned, Shane, in terms of top tips. You know, I think clearly ABM is, is a long-term game. You know, you're building long-term relationships with very big customers. You're looking for, for large deal sizes, etc. But I do think getting something tangible um, out, out of the door, if you like, in a timely fashion is also really important. You know, you need to keep the impetus and energy of the team uh, and particularly of sales, you know, who've invested their time and effort. They want to see some, some uh, you know, tangible outcomes, if only things that are going to support them in their day to day pretty quickly. So for me, you know, the very first thing that should be created is, is a really first class deck, you know, or presentation that summarizes this new strategy and value proposition into the account or, or into the sector. And that should give them uh, new conversations and, and a new angle on talking to their customers or prospects. Um, assuming that they are prospects rather than existing customers, I think another thing that needs to be done really quickly um, in, from the research phase is the identification of all the key stakeholders um, and ideally, you know, their, their contact details and their LinkedIn profiles and everything else, again, that the sales leadership team can use uh, to help them find the right people, you know, in a timely fashion. Yeah, I think reaching the right people with the right assets. And I think particularly at the moment, there are businesses, obviously, that have massive challenges that often salespeople would be 
um, inviting people to look round an office if you're selling office space. Obviously, um, you can't do that at the moment. So, you know, investing in the, the digital tools to do virtual office tours, um, the fantastic sort of VR and AR tools that are coming out to do things like walk through. I think you can walk through a Rolls Royce engine, which, um, you know, sounds amazing. But if you, you know, trying to sell that engine into um, the, the aircraft companies, then you need different ways and different tools of doing it now. And I think personally, we'll see quite a lot of investment in those type of areas. And in fact, some, there's some really good award winners um, out there already. I, I was lucky enough to judge the um, Get Stacked B2B Marketing Awards. And there was a fantastic one from a port who was looking for investment um, from overseas investors. And they sent out headsets and did a virtual tour using headsets. And this was before um, lockdown. So I think we're going to see personally a lot more of that. So I'd just like to finish, Robert, on um, sort of what's what you think might be happening and what's coming because of all the changes in this new normal, new world we're in, and particularly perhaps some of the things we might learn from around the world. I'm thinking ahead. In fact, next week, I'm moderating a session on Ignite Chicago, Ignite USA, um, a whole afternoon, in fact, a whole two day stream on, on ABMS. And I'm looking forward to learning about what's happening over there. So what do you see happening differently from around the world from your perspective that might help us going forwards? Yeah, good question. Well, I mean, I, I think in the context of, of you know, the pandemic and, and COVID-19, etc., without question, you know, everybody's working lives have been turned on their heads. And there's no question that, um, you know, relevance, context, personalization are going to be more important than ever. So from that perspective, I think, you know, ABM is absolutely tailor made for for dealing with your existing customers and, and potentially obviously engaging new customers. So I think that's that's a given. I think the point you made about digital marketing is inevitable. You know, I mean, for a long time, I've been actually advocating um, a return to things like direct mail, um, but clearly that's uh, completely gone now, given the fact most people are working from home and we wouldn't know where they were if we wanted to, to find them anyway. So I think um, coming up with more and more compelling digital communications, um, you know, is, is really important. Um, something else I think, you know, which is perhaps uh, a more generic point, but I noticed that through the call chain, you've referred to account-based marketing uh, and sales a lot. Uh, and of course, I've been talking ABM, but I think um, more and more customers seem to be wanting to position account-based marketing as account-based engagement, where it's definitely something that is uh, company-wide and you know, not just sales and marketing working closely together, but actually the entire organization taking a different approach to their most important accounts. There you have it, folks. Really interesting stuff from Robert and some excellent questions and discussion from Shane as well. Thank you, Robert, for doing that. Lots to pick up on, I'm sure. Not least my old friend, as it now is, Abe, account-based engagement. The idea that although this may have started or at least marketing with a name uh, given initially with ABM, we've talked about it being ABMS sales and indeed makes that case. Two things for that for me. One, of course, it could be any department that's got uh, customer or prospect involvement and think about your own organizations where are their touch points that your individuals might be able to 
better strengthen relationships, to build relationships, to add value, to be helpful, all the great terms that you can associate with this very focused and personalized and relevant messaging that you can do. Um, but of course, the word engagement doesn't then mean selling. And that's sometimes for me the word uh, that can be a challenge around account-based marketing. And in fact, when we come to selling, as we spoke about on a previous episode with the concept of social selling, the idea that you can uh, very much focus your time on trying to use social media platforms to inverted commas sell, um, I would often argue that social selling is more like social engagement. So I think you can probably wed the two together. Think about how you might create your content and messaging and then use your teams, those that have got that contact with customers. And as Robert said, it doesn't have to be just marketing people pushing the buttons to get this out. It's not just salespeople that might be using it in their face-to-face -face or virtual-to-virtual -virtual world as we now live. It's any other part of the business that can help just strengthen the relationship between you and that organization and particularly remembering the individuals within that organization. With the change that we've been through, it's probably no more uh, pertinent than ever to think about what are the right ways to help. Um, if you have felt like you've had to rapidly change in the last few months in terms of how you go to market, how you do your sales and marketing and other activity, then you can pretty much bet your bottom dollar it's the same for those client organizations. So think about how you might retune what you're doing from an account-based marketing point of view. Again, Robert came back to this when he talked about direct marketing or DM and how we're seeing this inevitable move to digital as Shane signpost. Depressing for me as well, and um, certainly any of the activity that we've done with my agency hat on when it comes to account-based marketing, really targeted, direct mail has always been a very good route in. It's had certainly a renaissance in the last few years, and we've used digital direct mail, so things like video boxes, um, tablets, if you will, that are made out of cardboard that you can put through the post to people. Um, now, they're not cheap. They're around about $25 per unit item, but they're a very, very effective way of getting through to people. In fact, if you have a look at some of the case studies you can find on places like B2B Marketing's website for best use for account-based marketing, so exemplars that are out there from award winners or just very good case studies, you'll often find DMs being part of that particular journey, especially for those hard to reach, high value people that you need to talk to in those organizations. But of course, direct mail may not work in exactly the same way for the interim. Um, we're not at our desks. We aren't able to be connected via the postal service that we would have once had. So we may need to think differently about that. Uh, and I think particularly thinking about telephony as well. Telemarketing, humans still a qualifying opportunity is a really important part of B2B sales marketing, but that may not be so easy to do now. So have a think about those things. Perhaps have a think about what it might mean from a virtual world. Will we need to use Zoom to try and qualify our prospects? Will we use Zoom not just to hold meetings, but to move people along that sales and marketing funnel, that journey? What will that mean from the content that we create as well? They may well have more time to consume, but they may consume at different times. So an interesting time for us to think about who it is that we're trying to target and the most relevant and contextual way to try and get at them. Last point, I guess, for me for today on this one is not to forget one of the other key points that Robert started with is account selection. How do you decide the organizations that you might target? And if we go back to Andy's session, episode six, looking at the pyramid for ABM, you might be dealing with one-to-one, -one, one very large customer or prospect that you focus all of your marketing just to the contacts within that one company. It might be one to few. You can use some of your messaging for a smaller number of organizations within the same industry or field. Or it might be programmatic or one to many. 
Now, for me, one to many or programmatic starts to stumble into the territory of just good old fashioned marketing because you're dealing with a lot of different companies. But let's think about that. And if you are finding that you've got those good opportunity sizes, organizations of a size or a value to you that mean they should be one to one or one to few, then how do you focus on them? How do you gather the insights that we've talked about? And then how do you start to test and learn what is the most relevant content and messaging in the right order to get to those key contacts? And remember, that might have changed only in just a few months. As I said, the ways that we might communicate, the channels we've got, but the messages, the pertinence of what you say, all of those different things are really important to consider. So there we are. Some thoughts again on ABM this week. That leaves us to the end of episode 10. Uh, hopefully we'll be back very soon, possibly with some thoughts on how uh, Shane has got on with B2B Ignite and what she's learned from that particular outing, uh, virtual outing, of course, sitting at home in the UK, monitoring and helping run a bunch of streams on best practice on much broader B2B subjects. So as ever, please do share any comments with us. You can get in touch via LinkedIn. You can get in touch via Twitter. You can also get in touch via our website, which is www.podcast.co.uk. In the meantime, I'll leave you be and thank you very much for listening.